if I thought about Brazil and the impact that I could have down there, man, there's not the type of development that you have. There's not the type of sales know-how that you have. There's not the type of technology that you have in the United States. And it felt like to me that I could just have much bigger impact on the region. And it had to do a lot with who I was as a person. Welcome to another episode of the Peak Performance Selling Podcast, where we interview top sellers and sales leaders to learn the different tips, tricks, and mental strategies that they use to create sustainable peak performance. Let's get rolling. Welcome to another episode of the Peak Performance Selling Podcast. Today, we get to introduce Nick Farr to the group. Nick has been at HubSpot for over four years, working across different departments, across education vertical, selling into the partner channel, and most recently moving into the Latin America and Brazil market, working with our partners. Prior to that, he'd actually spent some time building an English learning business down in Brazil, and then worked in international education, helping folks and students really understand how do they go expand their knowledge across different cultures, different environments. So Nick brings a lot of really cool experience to the table. Multiple time Presidents Club Award winner. We're sitting here on the 1st of September. He's already qualified for Presidents Club this year at HubSpot. So what an awesome rock star to have on with us. Nick, welcome to the podcast. Jordan, thanks for having me. Looking forward to it. Excited to have you here. So the, the question that I always love to start with with our guests is really understanding, how did you end up working in sales? Is that something you expected to be when you were going through school and growing up? Not really. I mean, I think the sales background is one where maybe nowadays they probably have some courses and specializations in college for it. But in general, oftentimes people come from business, they come from liberal arts degrees, you can have engineers that that make their way into sales. So definitely wasn't something in the back of my mind as a clear career path. I was a international relations and poli-sci major in college. And, I, and, and I'm not so sure if my path was traditional getting in. I, I moved down to Brazil for about four years after college. Money was running out pretty quickly. Easiest way to start making some money down there is teach English. That's what you can offer pretty easily. And one thing led to the next. You realize you can build a business out of it, start marketing it, and... That's actually kind of what led me to to HubSpot in the early days. Back in 2013, I'm launching a an English business, built a site with my brother, started hiring some teachers. Well, when you go and type online, how do you market a website? <laughs> Our friends at HubSpot are some of the first people to pop up. So I actually took the, the inbound certification back in 2013. Didn't end up making my way to HubSpot until beginning of 2017. But... That's kind of where the journey to sales started via via an entrepreneurship route and finding myself in a position without any money living in Brazil. <laughs> you got to find a way to make that living somehow, right? <laughs> I love that. Absolutely. And when you ended up seeing yourself as a salesperson, sales professional, is that something that you thought you'd still be in a bunch of years later or something that was just going to be a, a short-term thing for you? Not sure what my mentality was at initially upon getting involved in sales. I think when you hear about sales from the outside going in, there's obviously some money to be made, which can be something enticing as a way to say, "Hey, you know, I'm going to get into this, work in it for a few years, make a buck, and then fall into something else." So maybe that was my mentality in the beginning. 
I can't say that I've regretted the decision in the slightest. You know, four years into HubSpot, eight years in a, in sales experience, and have zero plans to to get out of it just yet. So yeah, I think there's there's a ton of opportunity for growth in this path, and I'm not at a point where I feel like I need to leave it just yet. Interesting. And so, what are some of the things that you're still working on as you look into growth? As I know you've worked across different business types in HubSpot and your experience prior, and now getting into the Latin American and specifically the Brazilian market, which I think is a fascinating place to be, is the dynamics are a lot different from my perspective, at least, than what you might have in North America or even in Europe. And so, how has it been for you, I guess, transitioning into that Brazilian market, even though? You've had boots on the ground there for years in the past when you lived there. What has that transition been like for you selling into Brazil versus North America or other areas? There's kind of two questions in there. You know, why why the switch over to something like Brazil? For some background, I, I worked and, and I think you you gave a, a good background at the beginning, but I, I worked selling direct for a while at HubSpot and then I worked in our partner program for years. And everything is going well, you know, get to multiple P clubs, presidents clubs, which is something that's for us is kind of the, the crowd achievement or the goal for the year for, for some of the more tenured reps. Why then make, make a switch if things are going well, you're learning, you're progressing and making money. For me, it came down to impact, really. And I think that gets into knowing who you are and what makes you unique or different or whatever your story is. And I've been a kid that's super lucky and was raised in a few different countries. I grew up in Spain for a few years as a kid and learned Spanish better than I knew English when I was you know, 11 years old. I lived in Brazil for five years. And so I have these things that make me who I am. And where can I have a larger impact? I could be a channel rep in the United States competing with some of the best out there. And as best as I could get you're still in a very large pond. If I thought about Brazil and the impact that I could have down there, man, there's not the type of development that you have. There's not the type of sales know-how that you have. There's not the type of technology that you have in the United States. And it felt like to me that I could just have much bigger impact on the region. And it had to do a lot with who I was as a person. I think the second part of your question was about differences in the markets and and selling in Brazil versus selling in the United States, there's tons of differences. Within the HubSpot context, there's some similarities. You know, We tend to provide a platform that enables people to streamline marketing, sales, and service processes. And so you still have multiple tons of companies with different technologies that are pieced together that are trying to do that. And so those realities hold within the HubSpot context. The names of the softwares, the names of the competitors are different ones. But that story is still something that's there. But as far as the sales culture as a whole, the inbound sales model is barely a thing. Like you, you go when you're closing a big deal, you're looking someone in their eye, you're going physically down and and presenting to them in their office. And so it, it's actually interesting with with what's happening now with the COVID and with the pandemic. That switch is very much a reality, and so you're seeing a lot of companies and a culture that was, we will never close business solely online, now moving to much more of an inbound sales model. So there's a, there's a variety of cultural differences if you'd like to get into that. But I think at a high level, that pivoting from 
being in person to now being able to sell a little bit more remotely online. That's, that's a big one that we're starting to see now. That's going to be nice as an adjustment for you then being somebody that, you know, isn't able to be in Brazil all the time. That's going to make it a little bit easier as a whole. And how do you think they approach sales mentally or that process? It sounds like it's definitely a little bit more towards that relationship, that in-person element. Do you see any other things in terms of how the Brazilian market really approaches buying or going through a sales process from what you saw in the States? Yeah, there, there's something that to me felt counterintuitive that I've learned about the Brazilian market, which is for those companies that are pretty technologically advanced, which there are a lot. I think there's a misconception there in the United States that Brazil's not as developed and therefore doesn't have the know-how or the technical resources on par with the U.S., And that's true at scale, but in pockets, that's not true. You have a ton of very highly educated, very highly technical companies down there. And so one of the things that's interesting in the sales process, and even at at HubSpot, we pitch productivity, processes, repeatability, scalability, etc. And I found that some of these companies take it almost to the next level, where every single part of their sales process is engineered. And they've got a few different softwares that actually do that. So it's very much, you know, leads are qualified in one system. And SDR qualified, has a, the SDR team has specific tools dedicated just for them to qualify in another system. And then they'll run through a sales process with your account executives in another. And this is obviously a little bit more in the B2B sales context, not the, not the B2C sales context as much. And so what I found is, even though there's a little bit more of the face-to-face, you know, you need to present, as far as the actual engineering of the sales process, it feels almost more overly engineered than even we do. And coming from a place like HubSpot, where yes, we have pretty standard processes for certain things, but we also give a lot of flexibility for individual reps to develop their own style in sales and not have to do exactly a discovery to a demo to a close like there are each process is a little bit different each rep has different styles and skill sets and we give people within a process the ability to to do it their way whereas in brazil it feels like no you get to this place you ask these five questions you move to this stage you ask these 10 questions you move to this stage and so the the counterintuitive part of that for me was when i think of if there were people that were more robotic than the other, which I don't like to think like, but I would say the Americans probably a little bit more robotic than the Brazilians. Yet, in a sales process, you see kind of the opposite with how much more they engineer at, at some of the higher levels of sales down there. So I thought that was very interesting. Really interesting. Totally counterintuitive to what I would expect as well. So that, that's really cool to hear. Pivoting a little bit in terms of sales and how you think about it. What have you seen over the years that really separates the folks that perform at their best that are those top performers in sales versus the folks that maybe haven't made it over the years that you've spent time with? Well, I think the style component is an important one. I don't think that there's one style or one recipe for success in, 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 in sales. You have some people that are super process-oriented. You have people that are super technical. You have some people that are a little bit more aggressive, maybe good at challenging. Some people that play the negative game, having prospects, basically have the prospects sell to them. 
you have different levels of talking. Some reps like to take full control and sort of run through a full process. Other people are a little bit more focused on asking questions. And I've seen success with all of those things. The area where I, I, I think that is probably the biggest differentiator, there's two, two big differentiators. One I think is in the mental game. And one I think is in the way that you approach a prospect or approach a customer. The prospect customer side, like, I don't think any top reps are ever doing something that's solely in their own interests. A simple example of that is, okay, you've, you're going through a negotiation process and you need a follow-up because your manager's asking you for an update on the forecast. Or if you work in the channel, you're asking a partner for an update on the forecast. Like If you're a rep that's someone that says, hey, do you have an update here? A silly example, but one that provides literally zero value to anyone that you're engaging with and only gives you insight into a pipeline or a process. I don't see really good reps doing that stuff. I don't see them carelessly just going through the motions of getting an answer to then pass back to their manager, their director, or whatever. I see them always thinking of ways to provide value, whether that's something as simple as sharing a piece of content bringing in some area of the conversation into those types of follow-ups. So I think that's the thing. Like the, the best reps are always thinking, how would I receive this if I was being sold to? And if it just feels like they're gaining value from me without providing any in return, I'll be much less likely to, to engage. And I think the second thing is the mental game, which is kind of what I was talking about. Like I don't think the best reps get too excited if they have the killer month. And I don't think that they get too down if they have a crappy month or a crappy quarter. There's a lot of things that are outside of our control in the sales world. We like to paint ourselves as the hero if a deal's closed and we carry the weight on our shoulders if it doesn't. And I don't buy that. I think there's we obviously impact processes. We can be as helpful as we can, but there's so many things that are at play within other organizations, within the partner world, within your own world that... Even if you're at your best, you can have a, a, a poor result. Even if you're at your worst, you can have a good result. And so if you can keep that balance mentally and focus on some of your day-to-day stuff and just continually getting better, that's, that's the kind of mentality that I've seen a lot, of, a lot of the best reps have, even if their styles are a little bit different. Really cool point around, you know, how do you show up? How do you stay level-headed? through the the good and the bad because there are some things you can control some you can't and i think there's really interesting as you think about that and so one of the questions that i always love to ask folks is really around you know let's say you have a tough month which sounds like you haven't had many lately but let's just imagine a time when <laughs> I've you, definitely you had did. them though <laughs> <laughs> and so what are the things that you do to break yourself out or to bounce back effectively from that tough month? Because I think that's something a lot of us struggle with. I know I've struggled with trying to figure that out. And is there anything that you do to try and reset or recorrect the path or the position that you're in if you have a tough month? Yeah, so I think there's two things there too. There's the mental and then there's the practical. I I think the mental goes back a little bit to to what I was just talking about, which is there are a lot of things that are outside of your control in this. And so when things are going great, don't get too high. And when things are not going great, don't get too low. The way that I do that, at least, is by just putting things into perspective, not just in the sales world, not just with 
but but in sort of in the context of of life and the, the universe and things like that you know I, I i very much look at my place in the world as a, a very small one which is absolutely true and that's true for each of us as individuals but we only know our own skin and so when things go well we're super stoked about it when things don't go well we're we're not we're not that that stoked about it and can get down on ourselves so i always like to put things into larger perspectives try to put myself in other people's shoes and i feel like that can give me a pretty good balance even when things aren't going great more of the practical side of stuff yeah man i mean going back and looking at your closed lost deals over the last three to six months and really thinking about what well, sort of figuring out like and being as objective as possible like was this deal winnable? Because I think sometimes we think we could have won a deal and it just wasn't winnable for a variety of reasons. Maybe someone was using another software before and we had zero chance. So I think the first is like objectively thinking, was this deal winnable? If that answer is no, don't focus on deals that have similar qualities to that one in the future. And if that answer is yes, then what was it about it that you could have done better? Was it competitive? Did you lose it to a competitor? If so, Go research a lot more about that competitor. Get a few talking points that you can use in, in future, future deals. Did another rep on your team have a similar experience? Uh, we use a software called Gong at HubSpot where you can actually listen to some of the top reps' calls, listen to people that you admire on your team or on other teams, and, and get talking points based on that. And then it's getting back to focusing on the inputs and the day-to-day. So if you've figured out, okay... These are the reasons why I lost this deal. These are the steps that I can take in order to not lose those in the future, the ones that were actually winnable. And then this is how I'm going to implement it in the day-to-day. I, I try to think of it in that way. Get my head straight and then get tactically into things that I can do to, to keep getting better. We wanted to take a quick break to thank our sponsor, MyCoreOS, where we help sellers and sales leaders take their performance to the next level by creating championship operating systems and cultures with live workshops, one-on-one training, and more. Check us out at mycoreos.com. I think there's so much that can be done, especially as you think about going listening to other reps calls. How do you dive into that competitive research and and take that bigger perspective? You know, even though it may be one month, maybe you're on really running towards an annual number or, or a quota or things like that to where one bad month does not make a bad year. But if you let that keep bringing you down, well, then it it may start to hurt you more and more over time. Is there anything that you do in your daily habits or routines that you leverage to try and help you show up at your best every day? Not really. (laughs) And I know that's not... I know that's not kind of a cool thing to say nowadays where everyone's pretty... You know, hyper focused on routine and productivity hacks and habits and and tricks. Like I don't have a an overly rigorous routine. Someone that's bounced around a lot. I'm a very social person. I invest a lot of time in my social life. I try to exercise daily. That sometimes works, sometimes doesn't. I like to read about history and politics and selling. Yes, and technology. Yes. I like to get some of those macro perspectives about the world, about my sector, and about then my role. I think one thing I'm good at is probably being trying to be as present as possible when I'm not actually working. And I think that's probably something that helps 
refresh when you're going to start the day. My phone's usually off after the workday. Occasionally, you'll find me scrolling through stuff, but I'm not very active on social media. And so maybe that's my little routine, I guess. But it's not even a routine. It's just kind of the way that I go about things where I'm not... Once this is over, I'm, I'm focused on being with my friends, with my family, my loved ones, and then wake up the next day feeling a little bit better. So no, while I understand that a more structured, more routine day can certainly lead to more productivity, part of me for whether right or wrong feels like in doing that, I lose a little bit of, of my own humanity, maybe a little bit of my own spontaneity. And so... I can definitely get better at being a little more productive, I'd say, but it's not something I over-engineer and stick to too regularly. It's a really interesting thought because there's so much around productivity and you know peak performance as I talk about that and how do people get there. And that's where I think the, the most fascinating thing that I've found is it's really pretty unique to everybody. And everyone, you know, as you mentioned, like knowing your own skin and knowing who you are, I think that is where we start to find what are those things that that really help you. And I love the word that you used is refresh from a course that I took called The Energy Project, talking about, you know, how do you manage your energy beyond just your time? Because if you can show up fully and great, well, that's the most important piece, because if you just push through and try and work harder, work harder, that time you spend all of a sudden becomes way less productive. And so I think there is this nice balance between how do you not over-engineer things too far and really identify, yeah, if I can turn my phone off and stay away from that, like that's what allows me to feel like I'm refreshed when I do go turn that back on or when I get on that next phone call, especially somebody that's worked remote for quite a while. You know, you, even in your early days, pre-HubSpot, I think you said you were one of the first remote employees for the International Exchange Program. And now today where more people are forced onto Zoom calls all the time, I think it is this area where, you know, how do you find that disconnect? How do you find that refresh is really critical and important. And I think that's a really cool thing to hear you bring up. I agree completely. It's, it's a tough balance. Understanding the value and importance of productivity and structure to keep growing and then not over-engineering it to a point where it seeps into aspects of life where Hopefully not everything is engineered. Hopefully friendships aren't engineered. Hopefully relationships aren't engineered. So it's it's a delicate balance, one we all struggle with. I struggle with it too. There's days where you're working late and you're on Zoom and now you're checking your email to see if you can get back to more stuff. In Brazil, it's WhatsApp. So it's even more invasive in some ways because it's your actual cell phone. So you're always messaging. You're always on. You're always connected. You have to be pretty disciplined, I think, about you have to be disciplined in both aspects of work from home life. It's You have to be disciplined and self-motivated enough to do the work for you, not for your manager, not for somebody else. You have to have that own self-motivation. People that are entrepreneurs, you know, like yourself, that's branching off and doing this, this project, this podcast, which is awesome, by the way. But people who have had that experience where they've needed to provide for themselves or started a, a project from beginning to end, I think have that have that within them, that internal motivation. But then at the same time is like, can you disconnect once you have that, especially when you're working from home? And some structure there for some people might be the way to do it. For me, it's shutting off the phone. That's also interesting thinking about that dynamic of how it is more phone-based, WhatsApp uh, in Brazil and just these different cultures and how that interaction happens is 
Really interesting. But as I think about where I've seen and admired how you work, I would say you're somebody that can really move with the flow or go with the flow very well and stay in that flow, which I think is the hardest part is really, yeah, you may hit it for a couple of seconds of one phone call, but I think you're somebody that can stick with that flow really well into the long term and hold it and sustain it. And I think Part of it is that, you know, ability to disconnect and show up present in your other relationships just as much as you do when you do show up to work, which I think is really cool. I appreciate that. You bring it on yourself, so it makes it easy. (laughs) A few other questions for you that I'm always curious about. You've had a chance to work with a lot of different leaders, see different folks across organizations and how they operate. What are some of the qualities that you really look for in the best leaders that you've had a chance to work with or folks that you try and support and emulate? There's there's a lot of good ones. It's also the right leaders at the right times, like for where you are. And I have been lucky to bounce around a little bit within HubSpot. And, you know, I, I started out working with, with working under Lee Brown, who managed the EDU team at HubSpot. And she was, she was such a wonderful person to get started at HubSpot with, super knowledgeable, extremely patient with how like I would come in with a zillion questions and she'd sit with me through all these processes and get me up to speed on everything I needed. I moved over into the AP world and worked with worked with Greg Brown, who was a, a really valuable mentor at that time and, and got me thinking a little bit more about empathy within my prospects and customers' shoes. And just because you know the answer doesn't mean that that it's not better to ask that question and have your prospect or your customer come to that answer on their own. And now I'm lucky to work with some really awesome leaders in the in the LATAM side of the of the business. I work most cl- closely with with Paul Rios, who's one of the one of the smartest leaders that I've worked with and and I think he does a great job of making you feel part of a larger vision and taking ownership over over your work, over your career, etc. Which as a company, like, you know, we work for a larger company. Some people work for startups. And so it's easier to be more aligned with vision when, you know, you've got the engineers that you're working with, or you see a little bit more of the impact of, of the day-to-day and the whole process. As companies get bigger and you get siloed a little bit more, it's, it can be challenging to align on vision when there's 4,000 other people that are supposedly aligning with the same vision. And I think by giving someone ownership over their role and by instilling that type of mentality in someone, that's, that's really powerful. And so I guess I didn't really answer your question as far as like what qualities I admire, but those are more lessons that I've gotten and the right, having the right leaders at the right time where, where I was at in those careers, where I was at in my career. And that's just HubSpot um, we're talking about. I don't think it's worth getting into tons of other stuff, but... Yeah, Lee, Greg, and and Paul were super instrumental to and continue to be super instrumental to my growth at HubSpot and and who knows beyond. Really interesting. I love that point on the right manager at the right time, and then that different way that they all showed up for you. You know, and to hear now where you're at, going back to wanting to make an impact, and now seeing this larger vision, seeing how you can have more of an impact as we build out this Brazilian market, Latin America as a whole, makes a ton of sense why you're there and, and why you're really thriving as you work through it. So that's really cool. A couple rapid fire questions that I like to ask at the end here. What does success mean to you? 
the end goal for any of us, I think, has to be happiness. I think even as a human race, we're coming to understand that it's not just about making a bunch of money. It's not just about it's not just about having impact. The end goal, I think, is feeling happy about what it is that you're doing. So we probably disagree about the ways to get there. I disagree with myself about the ways to get there, as I'm sure we all do. But success is is finding finding happiness, ideally through impact. If financial success, success comes along with that, fantastic. If it doesn't, well, that's okay too. But I, I would define in, maybe it's a hippy-dippy way, but I would define success as finding happiness. That's great. This was one of the favorite interview questions I'd ever been asked. Do you love winning or hate losing more? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Probably hate losing more, if I'm being honest. Yeah, because I think the hate, you know, I think that's been proven maybe even as well with just human psychology in general. I, you know, I think I'd like to say I love like winning more, but I grew up with two brothers who are my exact same age. So I was born and 360 days later, my twin brothers were born. So we were three boys in one year. And it just everything, competing over absolutely everything. And if I'm being honest about the way that I feel about that, whether that's in sports or in sales or what it, whatever it might be, losing pissed me off so much more than the joy I get from winning. And I think that drives you to want to win more. I wish that wasn't the case, but I'd totally be lying if, <laughs> if I didn't say that. I love that. That is fantastic. What do you love the most about sales? I get to talk. So I, we work in channel, as you know, and I'm now working in Brazil. So it's not sales, I guess, that what I love about it, but it's, I get to talk with super smart people across tons of different businesses every single day. And I get to work hand in hand with partners who our mission is to drive their businesses forward and you know, hopefully that also impacts our own growth as a company. So it doesn't feel like I have to wake up and grind through every day. You know, I, I think we've moved a little bit beyond that piece of having to wake up and call a ton of people, which is the grind part initially about this type of job. And I don't think anybody likes that piece. So I get to wake up, I get to talk to the people that I want to be talking to. I get to meet with some of the smartest people in a region that I care deeply about. And sales has been the means for me to be able to do that. The sales as an end in and of itself is not something I, I love or hate or anything. It is the means with which I'm able to have meaningful interactions in my day-to-day. That is fantastic. I think that is something that I absolutely love about this position, this role, the career as a whole, and all comes back to being able to make a meaningful impact, Nick. So thank you for joining us, Nicholas Farr. Until next time, and maybe we need you to give us this in, in Portuguese as well, but yeah. I'd like to end with, let's go crush it. How do we do that in Portuguese? I can say, vamos lá. Vamos lá. Vamos lá. Let's do it. There we let's go. get it. Nicholas Farr, we'll link to his LinkedIn, a couple of the resources that he mentioned in the show notes. And until next time, we hope you all go out and vamos lá. Vamos lá. Thanks, Jordan. Really appreciate it. Really excited for, for this project to keep taking off. And, and thanks for having me. 
It's thanks to help from listeners like you, this podcast can continue to grow and help others. If you found anything helpful in today's episode, please take a second, share with a friend, and leave us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast today. Thanks. Thanks.